Welcome to Curtin University's Young Alumni Talks for Change podcast series. This series is created, hosted and narrated by Curtin Young Alumni for our young alumni. Talks for Change brings to you stories of Curtin's amazing young graduates from around the world who are inspiring social change within their communities. These are real stories by real grads, so sit back, plug in and be prepared to be inspired. We hope you enjoy this episode of Talks for Change. Hello listeners, welcome to Talks for Change. I'm Sam Panaka, your Talks for Change host, and I'm excited to introduce you to our guest for this episode, Eldon Rostom. Eldon graduated from Curtin with a Bachelor of Mechanical Engineering with first class honours in 2017. He is the co-founder and CEO of Diagnose Medical. Founded in 2019, Diagnose was formed to address unmet diagnostic needs for rhinology and ears, nose and throat, also known as ENT, applications. Welcome to Talks for Change, Eldon. Thank you for having me, Sam. It's a pleasure and an honour to be featured on the Talks for Change series with so many great Curtin alumni. Thanks, Eldon. So we do like to start these podcasts off with a bit of an icebreaker. What's your favourite Curtin memory? Sure. Um, Great question. Um, I have many great memories of Curtin just for the fact that um, I came to study here as an international student from Mauritius and lived on campus for the entirety of my degree. So I was always at uni and it was in a way my first home in Australia, my home away from home. And one of my favourite memories was probably during the John Curtin Leadership Academy program in 2016. I was part of a really great tight-knit cohort, almost like a family, and our project was to raise funds and awareness for Melanoma WA and the annual ball. So it was was great to to be part of a um, like-minded, supportive community, and I made so many great friends from that experience as well, some of which have played an integral part of my life up until now. Oh, that's amazing. Um, And especially that you were living on campus. So I guess if you could go back to one particular aspect of uni life, what would it be? It would be being part of the um, motorsport team, definitely. So for reference, uh, it's part of the Formula SE program in Australasia, where um, you have students uh, around engineering, predominantly sometimes other faculties as well. From around 30 unis, we, we build an open wheel race car from scratch. Think about it from a smaller Formula One type car and go to compete in Melbourne every year. And it was a great program that in a way equipped me with the engineering skills and entrepreneurship skills. And I spent most of my time there in the workshop in building two or four every day, just tinkering around and learning new things. I I really do miss that. I wish I could go back to that sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it sounds a lot more fun than a desk job, but um, we all have to do those, unfortunately. Um, All right. So let's get back into a bit of a discussion about your work through Diagnose. Can you talk us through your journey since graduation? It's been a bit of a tumultuous journey so far. So um, since graduating, I worked in different capacities as an engineer in various engineering consulting firms on diverse projects in mining and oil and gas. And um, I learned pretty fast and the work was really interesting, but a piece of me wasn't really fulfilled with the work I was doing. So there was a bit of a disconnect. Um, you see, so I, I grew up with very poor health and spent a lot of time in and out of hospital in Mauritius for various reasons. So I would always empathise with other patients and, and strive to make a difference in healthcare. That's what I really wanted to do. And I eventually attended entrepreneurship courses in Perth called By Design. They originated from Stanford Uni. And uh, that's how I got hold of my first medical startup called Cal- Calor Medical. And um, the aim was to standardise 
first aid for burn injuries. It was a great problem to solve. We had a great relationship with um, Professor Fiona Wood, who's one of the best surgeons in the world here in Perth. And um, but growing a startup back then wasn't the right time for everybody on the team. So and and it wasn't the right market fit as well for what we were looking for. So we eventually disbanded and there were several opportunities that led to diagnose after that. Okay, that sounds really good and like you've had a really well-rounded experience, um, which led you to creating Diagnose. So where did the idea for Diagnose come from? Um, and can you talk us through turning the concept into an operating business venture? It, it, it was a great experience. Um, the opportunity was um, pretty much by serendipity, really. So after the first attempt, I was still keen on learning more and there was an opportunity for the short version of the same course at Stanford Uni. And I had a great uh, recommendation from the Perth Biodesign team, from Lauren, from Curtin Commercialization, and also a scholarship from Accelerating Australia to attend a course in the United States. So um, it was a great experience. I spent a few weeks there and a great community in a great community of startup founders at Stanford. I made some great friends in the Bay Area. And uh, during the program, I was placed in a team with three experienced uh, ENT surgeons. So EMT stands for ear, nose, throats. And, um, and, and they all had average 10 to 15 years of experience each, very, very experienced in their own. So some of them in private practice, some of them in hospital setting. And we were looking at clinical problems centered around sinus infections. And we're exploring our options, treatment options, diagnostic options, uh, telemedicine and digital health options as well. And the same day, um, one of my roommates on the Stanford campus was mentioning how he wasn't feeling well and really had to fight to pressure the primary care doctor for an antibiotic script. And, and for me, that was weird, strange, because, you know, you, you would try to listen to your doctor to understand, you know, they, they would know best what you would need at times. And spending more time with primary care providers and doing surveys with other doctors and parents, we realized there was a need for such a test, not only to curb the massive over-prescription rate. So it's presumed that at least one out of three antibiotics is unnecessary, if not more. And also as a patient education tool, because it provides a, a certain level of object, objectivity in, in the assessment and the diagnosis and reassures both the patient and the doctor that they're all making the right decision. So I came back to Australia uh, in late 2019 and... Um, I jumped full-time into this, leading the business and product development side here in Australia, because that's my expertise. While my co-founders, the ENT surgeons, who are still in the US, they help with the clinical programs, um, the patient recruitment side of things, the science and decision-making. And um, we have raised about a million dollars so far, and we are setting up a lab here and running our first clinical study. So it's very exciting so far. That's really, really impressive. Um, those stats are pretty shocking. Um, it's clear to see that through Diagnose, you'd be having a massive social impact. Um, so not only the one in three prescriptions are unnecessary, but that 700,000 deaths per year occur as a result of antibiotic resistance. I mean, that's just astonishing. Um, so how is your product rolled out? Um, is it prescribed by doctors or can patients walk into a chemist and buy it? And how does it work? Um, the stats definitely are crazy and, and it's 700,000 annual deaths and the World Health Organization predicts that, you know, the current rate, if we don't curb the overprescription, it'll be around 10 millions in 2050. So it's, it's tremendous impact, both economic, and health ramifications as well, not too different from what we've seen with COVID-19. 
And um, so for the product itself, we are still a few years away from even launching the test. And uh, the reason for this is that healthcare is heavily regulated, especially for newer players like us, companies like us that do not have a track record of safe, of developing safe and effective product unto, under our own umbrella. And because at the end of the day, everything we do carries the risk to human lives. So the regulators have a very stringent process they have to go through before we even allowed to sell the project and the test. But I'll tell you a bit more about, you know, how we plan to commercialize the test, if that's okay. Yeah, for sure. Yep. So um, for the test itself, we're planning for a lab version first, and uh, it will be available to GPs and primary care physicians. And this is because this is the shortest pathway to market and carries very little risk in terms of, you know, the test itself is being carried out in a controlled environment. So all the risks are mostly associated with the sample handling and logistics. And then after that, we'll be aiming for full approval for the point of care version, which will be used by the doctors in the office before tackling the at-home market, which has even more regulatory burden because it carries, it's, it's essentially a risk-based type of approach that the regulators have. Um, in terms of how it works, so when you have nasal or sinus inflammations or symptoms, such as runny nose and congestions in general, this can be due to many, many different things, not just viruses or bacteria. It can be allergies, hay fever, it can be dust, uh, it can be mold, it can be chronic inflammation for some people, many reasons. And our product essentially aims to take a nasal sample and then profiles the degree and cause of inflammation in your nose. So you can provide targeted treatment of based on what's causing it. Um, that's probably as much as I can say for now. And the reasoning why it's so effective for our first indication, which is differentiating between viral and bacterial sinus infection, is because we have we are tackling a problem called what you call bacterial colonization. So essentially, everybody has multiple bacterial species just you know hanging out, having a good time in your nose, and you 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 won't feel sick at all. And if in this case you use the same methods that you use for COVID nineteen, even in healthy people, you would detect a lot of um, you know a high microbial load, and even in healthy people, and it wouldn't mean that they would need antibiotics. So on the flip side, for COVID-19, for example, you should not have any virus genetic material in your body. So unless you have been previously infected, so the test is really effective for that case. Does that sort of make sense or did you need anything else, um, any more clarifications on that? Um, it does make sense. Look, I'm not remotely a medical professional. I've watched years and years of medical dramas on TV, but I don't think they've overly equipped me to understand the intricacies of the industry. But um. It sounds like a really interesting concept and, um, you know, you mentioned COVID-19 in there and some of the symptoms which your product will be testing for are definitely known COVID-19 systems. So have you thought about kind of repurposing the testing to, I guess, meet demand for, that's been generated by COVID? Yep. Great questions. And uh it's been a question that's been plaguing us, especially from investors' point of view since the very start. Unfortunately, no, we, we, we did not pivot the strategy to focus on COVID-19, although in the early days we did bounce around the idea quite a lot um, around developing a rapid COVID-19 test. And that was for a few reasons. The first one is we built the entire infrastructure, the team and research specifically around our needs for profiling inflammation which is very different to detecting virus, viruses. And we had to 
drastically change everything to, to meet what seemed for us like a short-term opportunity. And even if we did, we felt that we would be too late to the party to catch up to and compete with other really established firms who have had you know established products and systems. And for them, it's just a matter of weeks where they can roll out such a system and get a regulatory approval and you already have the financial backing to do it. There are thousands of companies out there with regulatory approved COVID-19 tests. So we would definitely have to spend a lot of resources even just to stand out from the pack. Um, in fact, we do know a few startups who pivoted the entire strategy towards a COVID-19 test and, and they're still playing catch up. They're still working on the emergency approval by the regulators even now. So for us, we felt that not only would be a distraction from our true mission, which is antibiotic resistance, but we will also be at, out of our depth. So we stuck with the problem of antibiotic resistance and its far-reaching consequences. Yeah, that's great. So it sounds like some really um, pragmatic decision-making went into your thought process there and having a mission statement and sticking to it is something that is just so commendable, especially when there are drastic market changes, as has been the case with COVID-19. I know you mentioned that some of your co-founders are still in the US. How do you manage that relationship? So you're in Victoria and they're in the US? Yeah, so... so and they're not only in the US, they are in three different states, three different coasts in the US. So we've got somebody in California, which is the West Coast, somebody in Texas, which is the Southern, and somebody in Pennsylvania, which is the Eastern Coast. So it's all different timelines as well, time zones as well. Um, it's, it's been interesting and challenging. So we, we have our own process around, um, you know, around critical decisions where I would send a text and just call them in the evening here, which would be the early mornings their time. But we typically meet every week. It's religious, really. We meet every Tuesday morning here, and that's their evening on the Monday, and every Friday morning here, that's their Thursday evening. And then we go through the main decisions that affect uh, that are important to tackle during the week. And then we have a board-level meeting every week and every uh, six weeks. So I, I guess... It's fascinating. I, I always heard about, you know, how all the teams need to be together at all times to be able to make decisions and thrive. But I think with the internet, it's everything is possible, really. And, and the pandemic where everybody's been isolated, I think it's possible to remote work and collaborate even within different countries at the same time. So that's our experience anyway. And who knows, different people might have different experience. Yeah, for sure. Um... Look, COVID has highlighted or created an impetus to look at creative ways of operating so that you can remain operational. Um, And it certainly helped in some respects. I mean, we're doing this podcast via Zoom. Um, We weren't sure if you were going to make it over or not. Um, And I'm so glad that this technology does exist, that we could explore this option and get this recording done. So you guys obviously embrace innovation, which is very exciting. And I can't wait to see what comes next for you. Um, are you able to share any of those details with us? Sure. So um, at the moment, we're focusing on wrapping up, you know, our first set of clinical studies in the US. And we'll be looking at setting up a lab in Melbourne very soon. We, we have all our clinical programs and, and supplies and everything set up in the network here. So we feel at this point in time, this is the best place for us to be. And uh, yeah, we'll be fundraising very soon. And you know, if that's of interest to anybody in the audience here, so let us know. 
And uh, the next step is obviously getting the product in a place where it's safe and effective enough so that we can explore opportunities states that, you know, uh, in the United States. Excellent. Well, we're coming to the end of the episode. Um, I do like to end our podcast with a piece of advice or wisdom for our listeners. Eldon, is yeah. there anything you'd like to share with the Curtin Young Alumni community? So maybe something around my philosophy where, where, where I believe that, you know, if you want to do something or make a change, you focus on one thing at once and you see it through all the way to the end. So you see, I believe that, you know, in our age of technology and information and the internet, we, we are not lacking in opportunity. In fact, I think there's opportunity at every corner. There's opportunity everywhere. What we're lacking is in resilience and commitment to see things through. So in, in my everyday life, I meet young entrepreneurs and I see two recurring problems, really. So you have, you know, really, you have FOMO, you have fear of missing out. People can't say no. And they take every opportunity they see, they grasp at everything and end up being spread really thin because they work on everything at once and not doing, you know, the best they can in a single, in a single project. And the second is what I call false, the fear of looking stupid. They never really take chances on a single opportunity in case things go wrong and you think, okay, well, people will think I am stupid for doing this. But you see, I think things will go wrong all the time. It's just part of life. And in fact, challenges are what drove evolution. So I think, you know, for people out there, if you want to achieve something and make a change, go for it and don't be afraid to say no to distractions. You, you won't miss out on anything else. The world can wait. And even if things do go wrong, I don't think you'll look stupid at all. You know, as children, we fall to learn how to pick ourselves up. And I think as adults, it shouldn't be any different. Yeah, that's incredible advice, Eldon. I think there is so much opportunity. Um, it's kind of hard to decide which ones you want to pursue. And then right. our generation does face that fear of burnout or fatigue or being spread too thin and not being able to give our full attention to just one thing, which is something we're passionate about. Um, and I guess the events of the last year, year and a half, have kind of highlighted the importance of taking time out, taking a step back, figuring out what you want to actually do and pursuing Absolutely. that. Absolutely. I fully agree. It's, it's, it's okay to work on only one thing and to take your time and to focus on the things that matter the most, whether that's in your personal life, in your family life, in your professional life. It's okay to take time out and take things a bit slow. Yeah, for sure. And sometimes no is a full sentence. Um, now, I'm incredibly glad that you said yes to this podcast um, <laughs> so we could have this discussion. But um, I guess I wanted to say thank you so much for taking time out of your day. I know it's been a bit challenging and the time difference and technological challenges earlier today have been a bit of an issue, but um, we got through it and hopefully everyone enjoys this podcast and we'll definitely include some links to your website and people can follow up with more information if they want to. Um, so thank you, Eldon. We really appreciate it and can't wait to hear from you next. No problem. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me and to the listeners out there. Stay safe and take care. So listeners, we've reached the end of today's Talks for Change episode. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for the next Talks for Change podcast and don't forget to follow our socials and connect with the team. Thank you. If you think that you or another Curtin graduate under 35 has an amazing story to tell or are interested in being part of Talks for Change, drop us a line at youngalumni at curtin.edu.au.